everyone. I am Farah Kimji, and you are listening to the Futura Talks podcast. I believe the future will be built by those who see opportunity where others see uncertainty. It will be built by people that don't look like the traditional leaders of our past, but by women and individuals from diverse backgrounds that see the world differently and who are driven to make it better for all. This podcast will feature these people, self-made leaders and entrepreneurs that defy odds and are motivated to build a better future. We will also share practical advice for how you can unlock your full potential as the leader of your own Futura. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Futura Talks. I'm really excited to be sitting down in conversation with this week's guest, Gwena Kadima. Gwena is an award-winning Toronto-based BIPOC career activator and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, empowering marginalized individuals to achieve their highest professional potential through targeted macro and micro interventions. Gwena catalyzes equity at the individual level as a BIPOC career activator, offering seminars, workshops, coaching, and other culturally relevant career development services to BIPOC students and professionals. Simultaneously, Gwena addresses systemic workplace barriers as a DEI consultant, developing and executing intentional DEI strategies and programming. Her areas of expertise are sustainable employee resource group, enablement, and inclusive employee experience design. I'm really excited for this. So Gwenna, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Farah. Thank you so much for having me this week. (laughs) Yeah. So Gwenna, as you know, on this podcast, I really like to take things back in people's stories. So can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what you were like as a child. Maybe you can also share what you aspired to be when you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta, and I'll talk a lot about my identity because of course me as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, it comes up a lot in my work and really informs why I joined the space in the first place. So I grew up in Edmonton. My dad is from the DRC, so the Democratic Republic of the Congo. My mom is white Albertan. So I really grew up in the space as a mixed race black woman. So going through my upbringing, I, as a child, was super nerdy. I was super obsessed with video games. I loved solving puzzles, exploring, building things. I was also quite athletic and played quite a bit of high-level competitive soccer, all the way through my elementary and teenage years. When I think about what I wanted to be when I was a kid, I was very into the details and loved to build. So the initial career path that I thought of was around architecture. And so really thinking about anything that let me get into the nitty gritty with numbers and planning and putting together something tangible was really one of the driving things that I was excited about as I thought about my career going forward. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's funny how sometimes the things that we uh, enjoy as young people kind of start to inform what we do later in life. Right. 
Um, so thanks for sharing that. So can you tell me a little bit more about your journey from high school, you know, all the way to before you decided to leave the corporate world and start your own business? Yeah, of course. So I think one of the biggest things that really marked my time, especially in high school, was I was playing, like I mentioned, soccer quite frequently. And that was truly my one big extracurricular. So thankful to my parents because it was anywhere from two to five times a week. We're going to practices. We're going to games. We have weekend tournaments. I was able to compete at a level where I had a few things abroad. We had tournaments in the U.S. as well as a very random one in Italy, which may or may not have been influenced by the fact that our coach was Italian. But hey, ended up happening. And so as I think about how I've sort of grown from that, what happened very early on in my soccer career was that I ended up getting quite severely injured. So for anybody who knows, a torn ACL, your anterior crucial ligament in your knee, is going to put you out for a little bit. Yeah. So I tore my ACL in my right knee, not once, but twice. And okay. so the over two years of the waiting for a surgery, conducting the surgery and doing the immediate rehab, then for that specific one, it's about a year of physio before you're back to the level that you were at before, especially for intensive sports like that. Mm. Having really heard it back to back, it put a damper on what my sports career would end up being. Sure. And so, yeah, really thinking about that, I recognized after a certain point that I was no longer able to perform with my peers. And maybe it was time to start looking at other ways to spend my time because with how fast things developed, it truly felt like my ship had sailed when it came to being able to join my team at the same level. Mm. And because of that, it ended up actually being a really good thing because with all of this free time that I now had, I did the classic things we do in high school. I started to look at different ways to be employed. So a lot of my employment was through retail and then switching into hospitality, which I absolutely loved. If I could get a stage in my career where I go back to serving and hospitality, I would absolutely take it because it was such a big part of my journey for quite a few years, but also gave me an opportunity to volunteer. And so as I volunteered with different organizations and got involved in the things I was doing through school, I really started to understand this passion and interest I had for essentially the concept of how individuals come together, form a group, and achieve a collective goal much bigger than what they could have achieved individually. Hmm. And so this whole concept of how do you get all these people in a room together to work collaboratively and build something bigger really helped me decide what I wanted to do for post-secondary. And so I ended up going, growing up in Edmonton, there's not as many options, and my parents were not down for the idea of me taking schooling out of province. So I ended up going to the University of Alberta, And there I completed my Bachelor of Commerce, specifically focused in strategic management and organization. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I actually went to school for, you know, I did a Bachelor of Commerce as well, but I went more of the accounting route. And, you know, that's an interesting topic of uh, area to focus on right in your undergrads. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So it's a... Pretty unexpected major that we had. I think the school at the time had about 16 different majors you could take just in the business program. Mm -hmm. And so often I get the question of what does that even mean? So I always like to describe my program as if sociology and psychology had a sweet little business degree. 
because really you're focusing on sort of the interpersonal side of being in the workplace, understanding things like leadership style, soft skills, negotiation, how teams work, fostering culture. And what really sort of lends to the next stage of my journey was an offering of specific courses related to gender issues in the workforce. Oh, okay. Wow. This is such a cool yeah. program. I'm like, where was yeah, this right? when I was in school? I think we have five majors being finance, accounting, HR, marketing, mm-hmm. you know, that was it. So there you go. Okay, very cool program. So tell me more yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to my studies, I was doing all of the classic business school things. So doing the conferences, going to the different case competitions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, though, I really recognized that as I loved my program, I wasn't really sure what the career aspirations or the career opportunities would be for me. Because as an aside to all this, knowing it was very related to a traditional HR degree, mm-hmm. I probably enrolled in four or five different HR courses and ended up just immediately dropping all of them. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but every single class, it just did not feel like something I could stick with. So add drop deadline hits and Gwena is gone. So as I really thought about what the career path would look like, I was also having a bit of an internal understanding of my own identity. Again, as a mixed black woman growing up in Edmonton, which is especially at the time, not the most diverse of places. Sure. And so what ended up happening for me is I had an opportunity to do a summer internship in Camden, New Jersey. And okay. being there, most random of places. Mm-hmm. But big leap there, from uh yeah. for sure. <laughs> no, for sure. And not a place that a lot of folks from Canada really know where it is or what the history yeah. of it is. But um Camden is recognized as having the unfortunate title at a point a couple decades ago of being the unsafest city in North or in the U.S. And wow. in addition, they have a very high population representation of people of color, predominantly Black and Latinx communities. Okay. So wow. as I was going through my internship, I took the summer in Canton and had such an awakening of my own identity. Sure. That was really the first time that I had been in a space that was predominantly people that looked like me and identified with me. And Truly, it just unlocked a different part of me. And so as I think about kind of taking that experience and then coming back to Edmonton, that was really fundamentally one of my first learnings about the concept of belonging and how a sense of belonging and a feeling of inclusion can really shape your sense of self, your mental health and your overall aspirations and how you sort of show up in this world. So while I'm learning all of that personally, I've got this professional or academic side as well. When I took that gender issues in the workforce course, it clicked. Yes, it was a very focused on gender, one dimensional course, but even recognizing that workplaces spoke about that topic Mm -hmm. completely opened doors for me. And so that's really what encouraged me to, upon graduation, make the move to Toronto and really seek opportunities that were specifically focused in the space of DEI. Wow, really, really interesting. I love that you share that. I feel like I can relate to a lot of your story having grown up in London, Ontario. And my first real exposure to diversity was when I went to university. So my university was actually quite diverse. It was in Hamilton, McMaster, and it was a really diverse student population. So that was my 
first time really being able to identify as a brown Indian woman and to actually have other Indian friends that weren't just my parents' friend that was, you know, kid that was my age, which was, there was only two that I had growing up um, before in high school and whatnot. So I really, really relate to that. And what's interesting that that journey also decided to take me to Toronto, which, you know, is arguably one of the most diverse cities in the world. um, I would say, I don't know the stats, but I just from my own travels, I would think that it is. Um, and similar starting, you know, in corporate here in Toronto. So once you, once you came to Toronto, what was the the first job that you had and, and maybe tell us about your journey in the corporate world, um, right up until you were at Accenture or even and including Accenture. Yeah, absolutely. So before I started corporate, my first job in Toronto was actually again in hospitality. Mm-hmm. So I first started working restaurants when I was 16 and then through until couple of months into being in Toronto, I was still working in that space. And really the thought process behind it was as I was going through my business school program, I kept applying for all of these diversity and inclusion jobs in Toronto and not making it past some of the early stages of the interview process. Mm -hmm. Of course, I got the feedback from folks that essentially said, Gwena, nobody's going to look at your Alberta resume. They have so much talent locally. It's not something, especially as an entry level, that tends to happen for applicants from outside of province. And of course, this was before COVID. This is before remote first became much more of a concept. So my thought process in taking that was, okay, well, I know that once I get in the room, I tend to really resonate and can build those relationships. Mm -hmm. I think I just need to get into the room first and then build my career from there and then start applying after I make those local connections. So for me, plan to move to Toronto, work in hospitality while I build my network. And then after that, be able to really start applying once I've sort of laid a foundation and gotten it. What ended up happening, though, was that plan got kiboshed in a bit of a good way. So one of my mentors from back in Edmonton, she is a managing director at Accenture. And I kid you not, she actually stumbled upon me in my restaurant job. I had no idea where I was working. She was visiting from Edmonton and just walked into the restaurant. I thought that I was having some sort of medical emergency because I'm like, how is this happening? This is so unexpected. But no, she happened to be there with a group of folks from Accenture. And she introduced me to the table as I was the host who walked her to the room. And she stopped everybody. And it was pretty awesome. It was her and then this room full of men who were already partway through their meal. She came into the room. They all stopped, gave her all of their attention and respect Mm -hmm. and said, everybody, this is Gwena. Give it a couple of months. She's going to be one of your coworkers at Accenture. Wow. And Uh, at that point, had you even told her you were interested in a role like that? Or had you applied to Accenture? Like, how did that happen? So I had applied for internships when I was in school. So I applied for the summer programs with Accenture's Calgary office. They don't have a big office in Edmonton. Um, Was rejected from that. But yeah, we came in here and it was perfectly timed because at that point, Accenture was actually doing some off-cycle hires for new graduates. So normally, consulting is very rigid. You apply in September, you do your interviews Mm -hmm. September, October, and then you know in the next couple of weeks what your start date will be for the job that you'll likely be starting the next calendar year. Yeah. That's the process I went through. So yeah, I'm very familiar with it. Yeah. (laughs) 
So it was one of those perfect storm moments of they were hiring off cycle. We ran into each other. So I started my application process then and she was completely right. I ended up starting as a consulting analyst about five or six months after that interaction and spent the next four years of my career at Accenture as part of their consulting business. I love that. I think it's really interesting because you, you did manifest that you did say, I just need to get to Toronto and build my network. And interestingly, you know, to just have someone stumble into a restaurant, like considering how many restaurants Toronto has that she stumbled into the one that you were working at, right. At the time you were working so incredible and what an amazing opportunity. So tell us a little bit about, you know, Accenture, what you were doing there and, you know, what was going on, um, you know, in your life? Well, actually, before we get to that, just tell us about your role with Accenture. Yeah, absolutely. So I had mentioned earlier that I was really keen on coming to Toronto to work directly in diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you who know Accenture, recognize that, yes, they have some DEI offerings, but I was actually part of the consulting business. So the work that I was doing was not directly in diversity and inclusion, but I kind of got my fix in a bit of a different way. So my day job was a part of the talent and organization consulting group. Really think of it as your equivalent of people and organization, human capital, that very HR people focused type of functional consulting. Mm -hmm. So in that space, the areas where I spent the most of my time were in employee experience, change management, HR transformation. And of course, especially ramping up after the start of the pandemic was diversity and inclusion. Okay. That aside, the other part of my journey, which is something that I'd really carved out to scratch that itch around diversity and inclusion, was a lot of involvement in our internal activities when it came to that topic. So one of them being co-founding the Black Employee Resource Group for Accenture Canada, another being starting a post-secondary mentorship program that at first paired BIPOC, but then transitioned to Black post-secondary students with Accenture employees in three-month cohorts, of which the fourth cohort's going to be starting in the next couple of months, even after my exit, and a myriad of other things around speaking around anti-Black racism, helping with internal surveys, building out training, really everything under the sun to advance not only generally, as Accenture calls it, their inclusion and diversity goals, but also looking at how do we alleviate and how do we address anti-Black racism in the workplace Before, of course, the topic became so top of mind in 2020 with the murder of George Floyd and so many others, but also in addition to afterwards, as we really started to see a lot more momentum in this space, both in and outside of my client work with the organization. So it was a huge part. What I love about you, what you just shared is it really sounds like Accenture was walking the talk and in terms of doing the things internally that you were then also helping clients with externally, because a lot of times there's the lip service, right? And then there's the, the, the the folks that actually are doing the work and learning from that experience. So I love that you had this opportunity to do that and to do that with a company that's, you know, quite large, right? So you, you know, had, it sounds like you had the resources and the support to, to really build out your vision of what this could look like and what was needed in at that time and in that space. Um, I know, and, and the reason why I I love it is because I was at a firm, I won't name the firm, but it was an 
a large firm that um, didn't, you know, see it that way, didn't go all in, did a lot of lip service. And so there is a difference between the two, it sounds like, and I'm sure there's still so many things that Accenture can be doing and will be doing. Um, but it sounds like you had a good experience doing that kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. There was so much support. And it's something where, to your point, no organization is anywhere near perfect when it comes yeah. to diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. But there was such an appetite to learn and correct and get better. Um, for example, the senior leadership support was remarkable. Like the Canadian CEO who recently just retired, he was our executive sponsor for the Black Employee Resource Group. And we didn't have to ask him. As soon as the ERG reached a point of momentum and growth that they, um, from the internal corporate functions team, said, this group needs a sponsor, let's take it to the next level, he immediately raised his hand and said he wanted to do it without sort of that need to pull or convince or drag him into it. So just leadership qualities like that and the senior advocates that exist and the funding and the support to be able to do those really grassroots initiatives to not only support Accenture, but also communities at large is something that was so special about the organization, something that truly was the biggest part of my time there. Wow. Okay. Well, that, it sounds amazing. So you're there, you're doing all this amazing work. So tell me, you know, what was going on then at the time before you decided to, to leave and start, uh, Gwena Kadima full time? Uh, you know, was there a specific event that happened that made you realize that it was time for you to go out and start your own business? Yeah, so I had bad pandemic burnouts. I hit the wall especially hard. And so essentially what had happened for my story through the pandemic, I lived alone and I, of course, being Black, really felt what was going on in the summer and fall of 2020. So what ended up really happening was that Accenture created a lot of space for Black employees to share their experiences and to really um, have their voices heard and provide input to the direction of the firm when it comes to anti-Black racism. Mm -hmm. I ended up taking it maybe a bit farther than I should have and truly spent so much of my time in all of these forums, sharing perspective and really showing up and trying to create space in addition to One, my day job responsibilities, but also two, really trying to process a time that was exceptionally difficult and full of collective grief and trauma for Black communities, both in and outside of the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I hit a breaking point. I moved back to Edmonton with my family about five or six months into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And what really ended up happening was come January, February 2021, I got very bored. And so I went from being in downtown Toronto, having settled into the city, tons going on from a social perspective, super busy with work and all of these different components to back to living at my dad's place in my hometown where everybody's locked indoors and you don't really have the same way to spend your time as maybe we'd all like to. Mm -hmm. So in that moment was a lot of reflections about my career. And I realized that Accenture had created so much space for me and given me so much. But after a certain point, there are other areas of my career that I want to invest more in. Mm -hmm. And this idea of really ensuring that not all of my eggs were in one basket, I started to really think about how can I, one, take the momentum that I built in my day job, but also start to 
expand and have more of a reach than maybe Accenture would focus on because can't do everything right Mm -hmm. to really still be able to drive those goals around creating space for black and BIPOC talent. So around that time, I was asked to do a very random keynote for black history month slash tax season for the black female accountants network. Mm -hmm. And that created the foundation of what started as a small side hustle really offering career development workshops and services specifically targeted towards pre and early career BIPOC talent within corporate Canada. Wow. Oh my gosh. You shared so much in there. You know, I will say that I I definitely found during that time of, you know, 2020 that a lot of the, um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, black people, I'm going to say this were put on with sort of a, almost, I I would say the work of having to teach others about what was going on at that time. Right. And so while they were living and experiencing it like yourself, and then also having to teach and explain to others what, what that's all about. And I, I I think there must've been, I would, I would think that there would be this like, okay, I want to, I want to teach you. I want to engage with you but I'm also burnt out. I'm still processing. I'm still grieving. I'm still in a trauma response. And I can totally hear and feel that burnout. I know a lot of people who have shared with me that that's what they were feeling. And it was this kind of pull of, I want to do more. I want to be engaged, but I, I need some, you know, need some space too. And I love that Accenture gave you some of that space, but I can see how it still maybe led to some, a little bit of burnout, but what's interesting about a period of burnout is always followed by a period of self-reflection often. And it's in those moments of self-reflection where the, um, what's the word where you get those nuggets of wisdom about what you really should be doing about what really matters to you most. And I do find that a lot of us went through that reckoning during COVID, right? Of having a little bit more space and time to think about those things. Sounds like you did. And what really came out of it is now the business that you're doing now. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about how you decided to go all in on what was then a side hustle to leave corporate, to leave a nice, comfortable, cushy job with Accenture to say, I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to build a business doing the things that really matter to me. Walk us through that thought process. Yeah, absolutely. So truly when it came to starting my side hustle of the career workshops and the career services, I thought it was going to stay small. Like this will just be a very sort of meaningful way for me to have a little hobby on the side. But it's one of those happy moments where the need was just so great and the momentum was building that not only was it my work as I'll call as a BIPOC career activator that was building momentum, but also for my clients who knew what my day job was and the space that I'm focused in, asking if I could offer services supporting them from more of a consultation perspective around diversity, equity, inclusion. And folks were really keen to ask if they could bring me on and start a different style of engagement to really support their organizations in becoming more equitable and more inclusive. And, and were so, people, a question mm-hmm. that were people coming to you directly as yourself or you under the Accenture banner? 
So that was the tricky thing because calling out that all of this was happening, I had to essentially say no to all of the work because for very reasonable reasons, yeah, conflict of interest and ensuring collection of IP that I wasn't able to offer those services as an independent. And so it would organically be, okay, folks were coming to me for me and wanting me to do these independent contracts, but I essentially had to say no and say, Accenture is my day job. If you want, I'm happy to explore that conversation through the firm and we can go that way, but that's really the only option. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was I was getting a bit of a fear of missing out when it came to that, a little bit of FOMO, right? Because I had enough of people having that conversation with me and really making it clear that this is something that they'd be willing to explore that I actually did start to think about it. And I really started to consider okay, what would it take for me to be able to comfortably and confidently transition away from my day job at Accenture and not only have my work as a BIPOC career activator, but also have the other side of my business as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and be able to run that independently. So it was a fun moment around sort of going back to those folks and truly asking them, I'm like, so I know you said, but how serious were you? Because I am actually listening. And so thankfully there were enough folks that helped me build out my initial pipeline and made me feel confident that I was ready to make that transition, especially knowing I had at least a year at that point of understanding the administrative side and the fundamentals of getting my business up and running from an operational perspective. Yeah. It's so incredible because sometimes you come to this point of realization of are these clients or are these opportunities coming to me because of me, because I work at Accenture or just because of me. And I think what you realize was, no, it's, it's me. And I, I think it's an important nugget to share for anyone who's listening that maybe is saying, can I do this, you know, without the support of a firm you, if you do have people asking you and coming specifically to work with you, you know, that's a real, um, that's something to really pay attention to, especially if you are, uh, if you do have entrepreneurial dreams, or maybe if you don't, right, maybe yours came out of the fact that, okay, these people want to work with me directly doing the things that I actually love to do. And what's cool about it too, I think for these clients is, you know, they're then getting to do it without the you know, big firm process and big firm pricing, right. Um, Mm -hmm. and getting to work directly and probably more hands on with you. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, the clients and the companies that you serve. What is, what is the key problem that you help with, help them with, and what do you focus on? Absolutely. So when I work with my clients, I think it maybe makes sense to sort of take a step back and understand where the DEI industry is at right now, because this space has absolutely erupted since 2020 and there are so many practitioners and so many experts now and there's a recognition that there is a lot to be done and it's meaningful work so when it comes to my specific practice the areas that i focus on like you mentioned in the intro are specifically around sustainable employee resource group enablement and inclusive employee experience design Mm-hmm. So looking at those two areas, the specific questions, if we think about the employee resource group or ERG side, which if um, just to give a primer to what those are, essentially think about the concept of student clubs on campus, but apply it to the workplace. Yeah. They are predominantly volunteer run collectives of employees who work towards advancing the outcomes for a specific, often marginalized community. 
So think a women's group, black employee group, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the employee resource groups, really taking and founded in my own experience as an ERG lead, understanding how can we have the most high impact partnership between the DEI and HR functions and these collectives of employees to really further business and community outcomes, but doing so in a way that doesn't lead to burnout and doesn't lead to essentially having us take advantage of already marginalized communities who traditionally end up being the ones who run these collectives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then on the flip side as well, if we think about the employee experience, a lot of the DEI function and a lot of the DEI industry right now is really just laying its foundation. And of course, that foundation has a big part when it comes to strategy and defining what's your roadmap going to be going forward for actually creating change in the space and also around training and creating that awareness and understanding of frankly why this matters and how to show up as more inclusive and equitable practitioners, regardless of your role within an organization. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. What, oh, what important sorry. work. <laughs> I'll because... just finish that one <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to finish on that though, where my practice really focuses it is on the later stages and understanding from an employee experience perspective and from design of what the day-to-day experience will be for employees, mm-hmm. how are we looking at all the different components of the HR process, of the employees' interactions with the business and with their peers, and really breaking down and eliminating barriers and bias that exist informed by the marginalized employees that we are designing for. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is around creating space to hear the voice of employees and using that to inform the way that we most often with HR processes, adapt them in a way to make them more inclusive and equitable. Wow. Okay. There is a lot packed in there. Um, I just having worked with a lot of large organizations can say, I can see why this is really needed. Myself also as an ERG lead of some women's groups within some large firms, you know, there wasn't a lot of support structure Um, it was often interestingly with women's groups, women's talking about the issue, women talking about the issues that they were facing and no men in the room to understand what those issues were. So nothing would really change and it would become these vent sessions. So, you know, being in a space to actually, um, structure ERG groups. And I know there's so much more that you're doing beyond that as well, but I think that in and of itself is such an important, um, function that companies need to have. And like you said, that often falls on the very people trying to run this group and also create the change that they're looking to see. And that's a heavy load. So really incredible work coming at a time that I think, I mean, would have been amazing for this to exist sooner, but it, it's coming at a time where I think people are finally realizing how important this work really is. And I'd love for you to actually elaborate on that and and what you're seeing and experiencing as to why people are really work waking up now to work being done in the DEI space like why is this especially important right now and what has been the reception that your business is being met with absolutely so of course starting off momentum again picked up massively in 2020 And we're at the point now where we're over two years from that period. And so what we're seeing is a lot of good intentions and a lot of active ideas of creating change, 
aren't really seeing the level of traction that was initially expected when things started to pick up in 2020. Mm -hmm. And so as I think about the folks that started, let's take Black employees for an example, as I think about all of the folks who started the Black ERGs that came as a response to the murder of George Floyd and others in 2020, two years later, I know quite a few of them are losing steam. One because, totally, and one because of the, of course, the emotional labor and the burnout that can come with fundamentally trying to convince the people around you that folks like yourself deserve to have equal access within the workplace, but also knowing that there is a level of support and a level of investment that's needed by their respective organizations that isn't often appreciated. Mm -hmm. And there's a common misentiment that ERGs are fully grassroots and they don't need a budget or they're just a collective. They can do plenty with an occasional lunch and learn or an unpaid speaker or a social hour. Mm -hmm. But really thinking about this specific moment now that we're past the two year mark and really thinking about this more thoughtfully is that to have that sort of systemic change and to really continue to drive the momentum, which to your point is starting to fizzle out in a scary way. There needs to be more thoughtful intervention around not just employee resource groups, but really around the intentions or the metrics or goals that you set initially with your DEI strategies and ensuring that they're still serving your employees and actually creating meaningful change. Yeah, I I really think what's interesting about it is a lot of people, I I will call them bandwagon jumpers, came onto this bandwagon of DEI during 2020. And without really realizing this was a systemic issue that has been around for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, that the kind of change that is now needed, isn't just like you said, a lunch and learn, it is a real thoughtful approach of how do we actually now uh, create the change and sustain the change that we're looking to see that we've always needed, that would have probably prevented a lot of the issues that we're seeing in the first place in the DEI space. So I I can see, and I I hope that that's being met with good reception um, from, from companies and in not just the lip service. I think that there's still probably from what I can see a need for a greater awareness and awakening to the real work that needs to happen. Mm -hmm not just the performative work, right? But the actual, let's create the actual systemic change that needs to happen. And so what a great position for you to be in. And I'd actually love to know, you know, if there are any challenges that you have faced, you know, personally or professionally during your career or, or life that really is informing some of the work that you're doing now. Absolutely. And I will say that it gets me so excited when it ends up that, I, that I'm working with a different organization because with the specific way that my offerings are structured and really what we're trying to achieve, whether it's through employee experience design or through employee resource groups, that shows a true commitment to this work mm-hmm. because you're going beyond, to your point, the bandwagoning and the lip service of, okay, we've got our strategy. Okay, we did our annual training, which fundamentally is exceptionally important, important, excuse me, but taking it a step further to be able to say, let's get to the level of impacting the day-to-day experience of our employees. 
let's support those change makers who are shifting culture and are having this opportunity to create community and dramatic changes to the outcomes for our marginalized employees. Mm-hmm. I love when companies get to the stage where they're actually investing in that. And yes, come my mm-hmm. way. It's the best type of work to be able to do and so meaningful for so many different communities. I'm sure. And as I think about sort of your question around what mm-hmm. have I experienced and sort of what's informed a lot of this work, in a lot of my time at Accenture, I spent quite a bit of time with students. And we, whether through running that bold student mentorship program that I had mentioned or just supporting campus recruitment with their various initiatives, I would have these moments of connection with Black students currently in Mm post-secondary and recognize that the barriers they're discussing or the concerns that they have when it comes to their future careers feel very resonant with the same things that I was thinking when I was back on campus. And so I know a lot of practitioners tend to have this surreal moment of they see the next generation come in and they tend to be talking about the same things that we were when we first started in this work. Mm -hmm. But really having that recognition that seriously, Black students on campus are getting dismissed by their career centers. Seriously, because of your name on your resume, you are pretty sure that's why you didn't get a call back. Seriously, you're thinking about removing all of the amazing work you did with your Black Students Association so that you'll even get the look from a recruiter. All of those different components were such a motivator for absolutely my work as a BIPOC career activator, but also my work in the DEI consulting space is recognizing that we have to tackle this project and sort of this big challenge from both sides. Because to your point, it's big change, it's long change, and there's a lot that needs to happen for us to achieve a point of equity. Mm -hmm. But what about those folks that are currently in the workforce dealing with where we're at? We can't get rid of those barriers tomorrow. So for the ambitious woman of color who wants to achieve and succeed in the workplace, she needs a solution now. She needs support now. So Really, what's informed my practice is seeing both the macro side of the big system change through DEI consulting, but also more the individualized interventions and supports as a BIPOC career activator, because we're stuck in this now and it's going to take some time, but it'll be worth it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I found a stat that said if we did nothing around gender equity, for example, that it would take 200 years to sort of achieve equity and and parity. Um, I don't have a similar stat for, you know, racial equity, but it's really interesting because I'm sure that's, that stat is even higher. Um, So the work that you are doing now is really, really important. We can't just wait for that change to happen, right? We need people like you doing the work, helping companies to create the changes now, but to also support those that are that are in it, right? Because 200 years from now, neither none of us are going to be here. So we still have to get through to today, right? So I love that, you know, you're really taking your own experiences and, and using that as a place to help others. I always find that is often the most genuine place to build a business from is to help people solve problems that you've had to face yourself that you're trying to overcome yourself, or maybe you've overcome them or you haven't overcome them, but either way, it is a really good place to start a business. So, you know, you're about four months in now. Can you tell me how has the transition been from, you know, that corporate world, right? Which is 
hustle culture. I know what it's like to work at a consulting firm to entrepreneurship and really solopreneurship at this point. Are there any recent wins that you would like to share? First off, I will say that this has been the most challenging, but truly the most fun stage of my career thus far. And it's been really amazing. I mean, it's been a fast four months. And some of the things that really stand out for me is, one, my first project was actually directly in the space that I want to build my practice around, which I know for a lot of folks, especially conducting service-based businesses, they don't always have the opportunity to do exactly what they want from the get-go. So Mm -hmm. that was a huge win to have a client who, and they were one of the folks who I was connected with before I launched, Mm -hmm. be able to say, this is the type of work we want to do. You are the practitioner for it. How do we make this happen? Mm-hmm. So that immediate recognition and momentum really has carried me forward. And I could talk about sort of the workshops and all of the folks, but one of the things that I'm really reflecting on that even feels so surreal over the last four months is the win around being able to set boundaries mm-hmm. and prioritize the work that has truly the most meaning and also where my skill set will allow me to show up with the most impact because I've done the DEI training. I've facilitated dozens of sessions on a variety of topics, but is that really the secret sauce? Is that really the area where to your point, my lived experience and my expertise can best inform this work? Maybe, but with my heart so fully in this work around employee resource groups and really about thinking through employee experience. It's just been so great to be able to reach a point so early on in my practice that I can have the clarity and I can have the foundation laid to be able to say, this is my niche and this is where we are and stay focused on that. So it's been so amazing to have that feeling, which I truly thought would take much longer at such an early stage. You know what? That is a really, really big win. And it may not sound like it, but I want to tell you why I know it is because it's very easy when you come out as an entrepreneur in the first few months or even the first year to just want to say yes to every opportunity or want to explore everything and have this sort of feeling of, if I don't say yes to this, when will the next client come? I better do this work. And before you know it, you're down this road of doing not exactly the work that you want to be doing. It's maybe adjacent to the work that you want to be doing. So for you to A, get a a win right in the area that you're interested in, but to also, it seems like you have the confidence to say like this, I don't need to be all things to everyone in this space. I'm going to focus on this lane. And I actually think it's really important to have a bit of a niche and when you have a niche, some people feel like, well, then, you know, I don't want to say no to this person, but when you try to be for everyone, you're kind of for nobody. And so in this instance, I think I love that you have that and that you're staying true to that, that you are trying to build your practice in that specific area, given the experience that you already have. And and given that it sounds like that's the work you really want to do. And that is your true zone of genius to work in that space. So loving that share. Thank you for that. 
And thank um, you for protecting yeah. my win there. Calling out yeah. may not sound like a win, so appreciate it. No, it is Fire, a big win, but I just wanted people to know how big of a win it is. Because mm-hmm. on the flip side for me, when I started off, I was doing all sorts of things. It literally took me two years to really narrow down and commit to saying, this is what I do. And I had a lot of great work and experience and clients and consulting opportunities and working with different founders, like a lot of good things that I did in that time. And then I just, over the last year really was able to narrow down and focus on exactly what I want to do. And I don't look back at, at, at the first few years to say, oh, I wished I had done it, you know, sooner. I think it all kind of sometimes happens to lead you to know this is the work that you want to do, but for you to already have that and, you know, you're off to a really great start and, and you, you know, your business will evolve and change as other opportunities come your way. But I'm really, really excited to, to hear about that early win for you. So tell me, you know, how are you planning to continue to grow and scale your company? So four months in, I feel like I'm still just getting my feet wet. Yeah. And it's been really exciting to think about what's next because I find I didn't really have the same space when I was working full time. Like, yes, I had sort of the side hustle and okay, I know working with post-secondaries, I'm doing the workshops, I'm doing the sessions. But to really now have felt like I just hit that spot of, okay, we've got the initial wins, we've got the momentum. What's next with this? Clearly this ball is rolling. How do we push it along a little bit faster. So for me, really the big thing is recognizing that there aren't other players in the employee resource group space here in Canada. Mm. There's a few in other geographies and some practitioners who have totally paved the way and really started off in helping organizations understand the significance of this. Mm -hmm. But the plan is to really grow and be recognized as the leader in sustainable ERG enablement. And that's through ensuring that whether I'm directly in the room for a client engagement or not, that the folks that are leading ERGs have the resources, the support, and most importantly, the community to be able to prepare themselves and show up in the best way for this work. Mm-hmm. What's really big with it, too, on the flip side is that it's something I felt quite often as a practitioner is I know that most of the organizations out there have some form of block ERG, especially if they've reached a certain level of maturity or size as a company. Mm -hmm. I want to get to know those folks. I want to start to learn from them and create community with them because I suspect we have something in common. So really a lot of my thoughts lately are around how do we create this strong network because corporate Canada is not that big. How do we create this strong network of ERG leaders and champions to be able to grow and learn from one another because we're all there with the same collective objective of breaking down barriers for our respective marginalized communities. Wow. This is really cool. I didn't, I didn't know. And I guess it makes sense that there aren't a lot of professional services geared towards supporting um, ERG group enablement, building those groups and supporting them. And I think that's because the very nature of the groups is often they're self-run, self-organized and don't have a lot of resources. But I think we're starting to learn that that doesn't really work. That doesn't really help Mm -hmm. those groups be successful. So, you know, I, I do see that companies are starting to take this more seriously and are putting resources towards it. So you've, your business is really coming at the right time, right? It's really hitting at the right time where now people are saying, well, we, you know, it's, two years, almost three years, um, kind of 
per post George Floyd and, and the murder of others as well during that time and before for many years prior, but that we now actually need change to happen, right? And it's not happening with the way we've been going about it. These groups aren't enough. We need to enable them to be able to do more, right? And give them the right resources to support. So really love that you're you're found this niche, but that has, I think, a lot of opportunity across corporate Canada to really help some of the medium and larger size companies and even small companies. But I really think there's an opportunity with the companies that have the resources and are ready to spend the resources on this kind of work. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where that goes. And I love your idea of leveraging across ERG group leaders to really support each other on that journey, whether that, what that looks like, is there some sort of tech platform that supports the community engagement um, and sharing and resources to, to help, I think, there's so so many ways this can go and so many, so much opportunity in the space for sure. Mm-hmm. And with that, I want to really highlight something that you said about how organizations are starting to invest in this space. Because yeah. yes, there's the clear momentum and the clear just general understanding of DPI, but we're also far enough in this because it's not just black communities. I mean, yeah. everything around anti-Asian hate, the uncovering of the indigenous graves across the country, thinking about even you being or having spent time in London, right? Like Mm, what happened with the terrible murder of that Muslim family? There's so many marginalized communities that we really became aware of their experiences and frankly built empathy for that organizations now two or so years plus that big sort of wake up moment are recognizing that they need to really build that infrastructure and that support for their ERGs because you can't just rely on them as being a substitute for having a DEI strategy. Absolutely. You need to make sure that they are a part of an overall ecosystem of a sort of across the board response when it comes to creating more equitable spaces. They are a key player, but two plus years now, we're seeing that you can't just leave them without guidance. You can't just hope for the best, especially mm-hmm. in a volunteer capacity. There's so much untapped potential in that space. And organizations need to be equipped to be able to provide that best service to those ERGs as well. Yeah. And I think it's about also integrating that into overall company strategy, right? Not just like, here's the DEI work that we do and here's the strategy around how we, you know, our company itself. I think that that needs to be infused as part of the overall arching strategy. And you're absolutely right. You know, I think George Floyd was a, an awakening for everyone really because we were at home we were watching our screens and we were able to engage in a way that i think we wouldn't have been able to had it not been for covid and you know i'm from london ontario and interestingly enough the um at the time that was happening i was spending a lot of time visiting my parents in london um because it was covid i was able to work from there and we would often go walking on the street and when i was younger my grandmother used to live with me and the professions of the family. So the woman was an engineer and the father was a um, chiropractor, you know, and in my instance, my dad's an engineer and my mom's a chiropodist. My grandma lived with me and I have a sister, like the whole scenario for me, I just totally related to the younger son who, who's still alive to imagine just having his entire family 
wiped out in a moment. And like, I, I was like, that could have been me. And it was, mm. it was tough. And I will say, you know, London really woke up and it was the first time that I felt like people, I, I mean, even now after there's been, you know, the anniversary of that date, people really seem to have empathy for what happened. Um, but it has been this kind of global awakening and reckoning for the first time in a way that I haven't really seen where people are listening, people are paying attention. So I really think that this is such an opportune time. I know, um, even though if it's built off of the backs of some horrific events, your work is really important work. Your work is work that has been needed for a long time. And I'm just happy to see that, you know, people are ready to make real investment and create real change in this area. Um, all right. So as we round out the this episode, I could literally chat to you about this <laughs> stuff all day long. Um, but, I, you know, maybe we'll have you back for a part two. But I'd like to ask you, um, you know, you've started this business, you're just four months in, but I'm sure you've learned a lot already in this time frame. Do you have any advice for our listeners who may be considering entrepreneurial endeavors of their own or who might already be on one? Yeah, absolutely. So the ability to start my business as, even if it wasn't the final version, but just some version of my work as a BIPOC reactivator was so, so important to ensuring that once rubber hit the road and the safety net was gone, I had the foundation made. So I know for a lot of folks working in corporate jobs, like we talked about before, there's conflicts of interest. There are, I'm sure, constraints when it comes to your employment contract about all the different types of work you can do. But thinking about that, if there's any way that you can start small in laying a foundation for what your future practice, whatever it may be, will be, really take the time to be able to do so. Because having gone through picking what software I'm using for accounting, or defining my brand and really creating my value proposition, or even just having the test of what are the tools and the resources I'll use facilitating a session are all things that if I had to think about that when clock's ticking, Gwenna, you're on the emergency fund and you're trying to figure this out, mm -hmm. I would not have done it in a way that was as thoughtful or as long-term oriented as it was. I'm sure there were many things that I would have had to go back to and fix or really reorient once I got into the work. So biggest thing that really matters to me, and it's something that it came up on an episode of Adam Grant's podcast. Um, I think he was interviewing Ava DuVernay, okay. and they were actually talking about the power of a side hustle and how it really is such a make or break or such a deciding factor for your long-term success in actually being able to trial the concept give it a go, really understand if you like it before things become extremely consequential. I think that's really, really good advice. Like try to find a way to test out the idea or the passion of, for the work that you want to do in some form of what I like to call an MVP, minimum viable product, side hustle, whatever you want to do to see if A, is this the work you actually really want to do? B, how, how would it look? How does it feel to do this work? What are, what are the technical um, aspects of it as well? Because like you said, once you, you go out and if you've only got a few months runway to support yourself, you don't want to be figuring out all of that on the go. So I think that's really, really sage advice. 
um, for anyone who's, who's thinking of that to get, get something started on the side on a small scale that's within your employment contract that you could do. And honestly, these days, everyone has a side hustle. <clears throat> it's pretty common, um, to, to be able to do that as long as you're staying on side. Um, so yeah, I think that's really good advice. All right. I have one more question for you. And I've actually decided that in 2023, I'm going to ask one random question to each of my guests at the end. So my question for you is what is the best compliment that you have ever received? Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it might be bittersweet, but the compliment that has stood out the most to me was when I was leaving Accenture, conversations with multiple Black employees, mostly junior, but various career stages, who were able to say to me that, Gwena, you are the reason I picked Accenture. You are the reason that I stayed at Accenture. And whether it was me directly in more of the relationship that we built one-on-one, or for some of them, even the programming, like the ERG or the student mentorship program or internal projects that we had hosted that helped them to feel seen and have a sense of community. Those were the moments that really stood out to me as I was exiting and truly just spoke to my heart in such a way that one showed that this work was having impact and that in a bittersweet way, though, I just wanted to hold on to these people and say, oh, my goodness, you'll be fine. And so recognizing now, even a couple of months from that, that some of these folks have stepped up to innovate on and create new programs based on the foundation that myself and the other co-founders of Bold created years back Mm -hmm. has been something truly special and knowing the role that I played in helping them feel at least a little more seen. Yeah. And what an incredible feeling to have, to know, you know, directly that your work matters, that it mattered, that it impacted people, that it's changing things, that they're following in your footsteps. Like that is a pretty great compliment. So on that note, um, I'm going to ask you, you know, how our listeners can learn more about your company, more about the work that you're doing and how can they engage with you online? And we will be sure to add all of that information to the show notes. Yeah, of course. So three main ways through my website, www.gwenacadema.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. And I've recently just gotten back into writing, including a article that I published today about four lessons for my first four months of entrepreneurship. There we go. Holding on to the theme of our conversation. So feel free to give me a follow on Medium as well. Awesome. Well, I'll have to go read that one for sure. Gwenna, it has been such a pleasure having you on. I loved our conversation. Thank you so much for all that you shared with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Farah. This was lovely. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Futura Talks. I hope it has left you inspired and motivated to pursue your dreams find your calling and follow your heart in your life and business. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much to me if you would consider leaving a review and better yet, sharing this episode with someone who will be inspired to start building their own Futura. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and I will see you next week.